0: Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the Insurgents. Here's Frank.
1: Welcome to a brand new edition of the Christ is All podcast. I have Denzel here with me once again, and we are going through every reference to the kingdom of God in the book of Matthew, those passages that we have not yet explored. And so today's feature is Matthew 5, 17 to 20 This is the next time that the kingdom is mentioned.
2: And I'm going to hand it over to Denzel. Hey, good afternoon or good day, whatever time of the day it is out there in Insurgents podcast land. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 20 from the Amplified Version of the Bible. And it reads, do not think that I've come to do away with or undo the law or the prophets. I have come not to do away with or undo, but to complete and fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until the sky and earth pass away and perish, not one smallest letter nor one little hook identifying certain Hebrew letters will pass from the law until all things it foreshadows are accomplished. Whoever then breaks or does away with or relaxes, one of the least important of these commandments, and teaches men, so shall be called least important in the kingdom of heaven. But he who practices them, and teaches other to do so, shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness your uprightness and your right standing with God is more than that of the scribes and Pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven wow mm-hmm. I love how how Christ just brings out that he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets but he is the completion of them mm-hmm, he, he completes it he fulfills the biblical narrative from eternity past the eternal purpose when you know one aspect of that the father designating these people that will be a part of the body of Christ that will become children sons I'll say daughters too but mature sons and daughters in his household where he has a dwelling place with them and Jesus Christ gets a bride and a body, and he comes to fulfill it. It's like Ephesians 3, where he says how the eternal purpose was fulfilled through Christ. And he says, until heaven and earth pass away. But then the other piece that comes to me, that really encourages me, is in verse 19. Because both you and I, and all of us, priesthood the believers, he says about teaching and practicing you know, these things you know, from what I'm reading and seeing, you know, your position or what will be in the uh, global Eden, if you will. And then he says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of the heavens. And and this is where I don't have any righteousness in myself, but Christ's life in me mm. is the righteousness of God imparted to us. I didn't want to get too much into doctrinal statements mm. like that, but just kind of Kicking it off there, the kingdom people, what this kind of looks like there. So I'm a tag team and tap over to you, uh, <laughs> Brother Frankie V. All right. Well, I'll take it. One of the things that stands out immediately is
1: this word great, mm. where the Lord says, whosoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them... Mm. He should be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And I have had pushback from a number of Christians, usually they're elderly, who say, You can't call anybody great. Only God is great. And that is simply not... Is that how they sound, too? When I'm reading it, that's how it sounds in my head. No one's great. <laughs> but Jesus clearly uses the term great To refer to individuals human beings and he also used it in other occasions he called John the Baptist Mm -hmm. great one of the greatest if not the greatest prophet who ever lived so it's not a problem (laughs) to use the term great as long as we understand the context and what we're saying because Jesus certainly did this comes right off the lips of our Lord Mm -hmm. and A couple of observations here to help us understand what he's trying to communicate. The law and the prophets, that phrase is shorthand for the entire Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. So when he says the law and the prophets, and he points out that not one jot or one tittle Mm. will pass away from the law until all is fulfilled. He didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. He's talking about the entire Hebrew Scripture. Mm All right. And what was happening here is Jesus was being accused of relaxing the Torah, partly because he consistently disregarded the tradition of the elders, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which was the interpretation that. The rabbis were making from the Old Testament scriptures and adding rules and laws and regulations that were all man-made to the Hebrew scriptures. And so because Jesus disregarded those things, they accused him of relaxing the law. Mm. And, of course, his response was, I am not destroying it. I am fulfilling it. I came to fulfill. He was bringing it to its divinely intended goal, Mm. the God-purposed aim of the law and the prophets. And as we have seen throughout the years, the Torah, the law, gives us glimpses and hints of God's will. And Jesus embodies and completes all of them. He is the fullness Amen. of the law. Now, some scholars say that the phrase least in the kingdom is a general way of saying they aren't in the kingdom at all. Other scholars say that he meant what he said. These are people who have a low place in the kingdom. And I would probably say, but that's more reasonable. I don't believe that all of the rewards that are given to those who follow Christ in the coming kingdom will be the same. Mm. The way I read the parables, the way I read certain statements of Jesus, it seems to me that there are different degrees of reward. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 seems to echo that, where Paul says there's going to be a judgment at the end for the believer, and for some people their works are going to burn up, but they themselves will be saved Mm -hmm. now john nugent and i did an episode on the rewards of the kingdom and he tends to believe that the reward is the kingdom so there's there's none of this degree there's no such thing as different people having different degrees but i tend to see it a little differently i do think in the kingdom there is going to be degrees and so when he says least in the kingdom i take that literally rather than a way of saying they won't enter at all. We do know that some won't enter the kingdom. There is that. And in verse 21, he clearly says that. Mm -hmm. If your righteousness does not exceed or surpass the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not inherit or enter the kingdom. And the kingdom is future in this particular text. And we're warned not to follow the example of the scribes and the Mm -hmm. Pharisees. Consequently, It is a grave mistake to pick and choose which parts of the scripture we want to follow. At the same time, it is critically important to understand that while God's ways never change, his methods do, especially when it comes to the transition between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. For example, we're told in the law to offer sacrifices. Right. But today we don't sling blood at the brazen altar in the tabernacle. The law says you're not to wear clothing that mixes fabrics. Well, (laughs) that was a law that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It had to do with mixture Mm -hmm. and abstaining from mixture. So the method has changed. Jesus has shed his blood to secure our redemption. The shedding of blood for the remission of sins never changes, but the way has changed, Mm. right? It's no longer by the blood of goats, lambs, and bulls as it was in the law under the old covenant. Those were all shadows of Christ. Mm. The same thing with the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a shadow. Mm. Hebrews makes this clear. Colossians makes this abundantly clear. I wrote an article on the Sabbath and the meaning of the Sabbath on the blog, frankviola.org, if you want to look it up. It has to do with how the Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ. Now, one famous pastor, not too long ago, Denzel, you probably heard this, made the statement. He's a megachurch pastor, very popular. He said, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament because it paints a troubling image of God. Hmm. Well, Jesus' words here, (laughs) Hmm. that not a jot or a tittle, right? Not the smallest mark in the Hebrew scriptures will pass away and should not be disregarded or ignored. His words come in conflict with that statement made by that particular pastor. Now, in the first century, you had the scrupulous, legalistic observers of the law. These were the scribes and the Pharisees whom Jesus is talking about. In Isaiah 42 verse 21 the scripture says the Lord was pleased for the sake of his righteousness hmm. to magnify his law and make it glorious and that has in view becoming of the Messiah who embodied the law in human flesh he made it glorious mm-hmm. he magnified it by living it out and so rather than abolishing the law rather than abolishing the prophets Jesus was saying i believe to paraphrase quote it's my role to bring forth what the law and the prophets pointed to and to carry it into a new era of fulfillment the law and the prophets remain the written law of god never changes but its role has changed now it points to me this is christ speaking Every detail is precious. Every detail points to me, and it is fulfilled in me. Even the jots and the tittles (laughs) have been fulfilled in me. And Denzel, you're aware of this, but there are two books that I have written that demonstrate this. One is entitled From Eternity to Here, Mm. and the other is entitled Jesus, A Theography. And both books explore how the Law and the Prophets are fulfilled in Jesus. I give you Exhibit A. Genesis 1 and 2 Okay, are full of references and images and analogies of Jesus Christ and His lovely bride. That is an example of the law, Genesis 1 and 2 are part of the law, the Torah, of how they are fulfilled in Christ. And there's also irony here. The religious leaders were accusing Jesus of relaxing the law. But they were the ones who were relaxing the law. Uh, if you remember his scathing rebuke in Matthew 23, where Jesus just upbraided the Pharisees, he points out that they separated what they considered to be great commandments from small ones. Matthew 23:23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. In other words, scribes and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, Mm. and faithfulness. And then he says this, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Hmm. So they were picking and choosing. Amen. The very thing that they were accusing Jesus of, Hmm. you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow. A camel. So the Lord was rebuking them for the very things that they were accusing Him of. And, you know, I have noticed this in my own life, the older I get, that people will accuse others of the very things that they're doing. In psychology, we call this projection. Mm. I remember someone telling me the story. It was a woman that I knew quite well, a family member, in fact. And she was saying that her husband whom she's no longer married to, would constantly accuse her of planning and plotting adultery. He was very suspicious that she was going to commit adultery. He would make accusations against her. Why are you talking to that person? Who are you talking to on the phone? Who are you going to see? The fact of the matter is, she had no intention Mm -hmm. of doing that, wasn't even tempted to do Mm -hmm. it. Why then do you think he was reading her like that?
2: Because that's what he was saying. Exactly. And you think that
1: people think like you think. Exactly. Mm -hmm. He was projecting his own heart onto her. And I have seen that so many times, even among Christians. I'm talking about this issue of projection. It seems to be endemic to religious people. And Mm -hmm. that's exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing to Jesus. And it bears repeating that. Entering the kingdom of God, which Jesus is talking about here, Mm. entering the kingdom of heaven does not mean going to heaven. It means coming under God's kingly rule. It means to recognize the kingship of Jesus and live by his standards as one of God's true people. It means being part of the alternative civilization that Jesus Christ inaugurated and that operates by different standards, different values, and lives by a different nature, Mm. meaning the nature of God. And there is the present reality of the kingdom, but there's also the future manifestation. And that's what's in view here, the future.
2: What say you? Well, I was just just sitting back, uh, just taking all that in. You know, it's interesting. One of the first things you brought out with that, Frankie V, is is how they were accusing Jesus of being lax with the law. Mm-hmm. Denzel's words, loosey-goosey with it. <laughs> right. But when you read further, and I'm going to speak to the one, not the one about judgment and murder here, angry. I'm going to speak to the one that spoke to me years ago and still speaks to me, to be mindful, where Jesus says a little lower... Matthew five twenty seven. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman mm-hmm. in order to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Then he goes on to say some things about the eyes that you can read you can read yourself. In this Sermon on the Mount, we're talking you know, we're talking about the kingdom of God and, and kingdom of the heavens. And right now we're in Matthew 5. It's like the Pharisees and Sadducees were looking at the external and absolutely. Christ is going like deeper mm-hmm. inward yeah, absolutely in your heart. He's really showing us like this is God's standard and I meet the standard mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. This is a standard, but my life in you. Mm -hmm. Will meet that standard. I cannot meet that Mm -hmm. on my own in my own natural man, but Christ in me living through me can meet the standard. I wonder how many of the Pharisees and Sadducees Mm -hmm. that were talking with him there were around when they said, Hey, what about this woman who we caught in the act of adultery? Mm -hmm. Because to catch. A person act of adultery you were to have to see them mm-hmm. doing it and then jesus says if you look mm-hmm. you could fill in the blanks amen somebody mm-hmm. so thank the lord that he came to fulfill them and that it's his life that he gives us to be partakers of in the form of the holy spirit i love second peter 1 three and four, uh, because of, you know, I'm going to paraphrase it, these divine promises, we are partakers of his divine nature, that we can escape the corruption that's in the world through lust and greed. And it's only in Christ that this is done. And then secondly, to go back to the piece where you were saying about least and greatest, I'm a person, my perspective is, he is saying least and greatest in main position because I believe when you quoted from 1 Corinthians it's something called the beam of, seat of Christ that, that we'll stand in front of mm-hmm. and give an account for what we've done in this body with his life which I think is like being a guy whose background is in negotiating labor contracts and when I see a good deal on the table I take it right away mm-hmm. and the deal that you're going to come and you're going to you're going to to wash my sins in your blood And then by your spirit coming to indwell me as much as I can, by your grace, uh, deny myself and, and eat and drink of Christ and you're formed in me and live by my spiritual instincts, which is your life in me. And then you're going to guide me and lead me to the works that you prepared for me to do before the foundation of the world and corporately. And here it is. You're the one that came and washed me. You qualified me. Colossians 1 talks about he qualifies us to be partakers by his blood. And then i have access to come boldly into your throne of grace. And you're going to live through me. And then you're going to lead me and guide me by your spirit to do the works that, that you called me to do. And then you're going to reward me Mm -hmm. for that, too. And then, (laughs) coming along your road, you're going to make me great in the kingdom. And then I love going to Revelations 3, and he says, he that has an ear to hear, if you overcome, I get to sit on the throne with you, too? What a Christ. Yeah, right. This is like an awesome, I, I don't mean to put it in human terms like that, labor deal, but what he's done And so to just give him all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise, Mm. I cannot do the law on my own. Yes, Christ coming to live in me and then to form himself in me and us that now I don't have to sit in my own natural strength. He gets me to the place where I don't even notice or see my sisters like that anymore. Mm. I see them through his eyes. And that beauty is really the beauty of Christ. Right. right. And it's like, it's a whole different, it mm. just like changes the whole playing field. It just mm-hmm. everything. And living from that perspective, and then to be able to truly honor my sisters in Christ like that, genuinely and inwardly, and there isn't a hint of any of that. That's just, that's beautiful. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm. Amen. Mm.
1: Well, I'm tracking with you in everything you said there and I want to drill down on a few things. He is the one who fulfills the law.
2: Amen.
1: He fulfilled it in his life on earth mm-hmm. to a T, perfect. Yes. He also fulfills it in us and through us. Romans 8. Amen. If you read that carefully, that's what it's saying. That's what Paul is saying in that passage. Jesus was a revolutionary. Amen. and The message he brought The Gospel of the Kingdom launched a revolution. But that revolution did not abolish the Hebrew Scriptures. He was offering something totally new. It was the fulfillment of all of Israel's Scriptures and Israel's story. If you remember in Isaiah, God called Israel to be salt and light. But Israel, unfortunately, was acting like all the other nations. But Israel's whole story, when Jesus came, Israel's whole story became true in Jesus. Mm-hmm. He, Christ, was what Israel was called to be in Isaiah 42.6 and Isaiah 49.6, the light of the world. Amen. And those words also apply to those who are in Christ. We who are in him, we in whom he dwells are light and we are salt. Those who try to relax the cost of the kingdom, and this is the strong message here, Mm. which all of us need to hear, including myself, including you. Absolutely. To relax the cost of the kingdom, which can be a temptation because it's so high and so strong, they get last place in the kingdom. Mm. They're not excluded, right? Yes. But like 1 Corinthians chapter 3, their work will burn up, but they themselves will be saved. If I can think through this, I have known people, teachers, who I would say relaxed the law. Now, by that, we don't mean, I don't mean, that they were saying it's okay to eat unclean foods. Because the clean and the unclean foods were a shadow of Christ. Amen. And the New Testament is very clear mm. that that law is no longer binding. Amen. All food is the same. And Paul made this very clear in Romans, the later chapters of the book of Romans. Peter had the vision, (laughs) partake of what was formerly unclean because those were shadows. The same thing with keeping the Sabbath. The same thing with circumcision. The same thing with worshiping at the temple. The same thing with the ceremonial festivals. All of those things were shadows which were fulfilled in the... Jesus Christ. Amen. Colossians 2 makes that plain. The whole book of Hebrews makes that plain. However, there are the unmovable moral standards. And I have watched teachers, getting back to my initial point, relax and dilute those moral standards that are shown in the Old Testament. One example is bearing false witness. Mm -hmm. I have heard and seen by their practice, some Christian teachers have no problem with bearing false witness in a line and even justifying it. And these are consistent all the way through the Old and New Covenant. Amen. And so I think we have to be very clear that while God's nature never changes, his methods, when it comes to the Old Testament, to the New Testament, have certainly changed. His mind and nature never changed, but his methods and means have changed from Old Covenant to New Covenant. And again, the book of Hebrews makes this clear. Yes, now, I want to talk about this issue of exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Who were the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, the scribes were the students and the teachers of the law, and the Pharisees were the ones who put the teachings of the scribes into practice and they passed them on. So you can think of a scribe in the day of Jesus as a certain kind of seminary professor of the day. And you can think of a Pharisee as a certain kind of clergyman of the day. They had the same relationship, right? Mm -hmm. The scholars do all of the hermeneutics and they craft the theology, and then they pass that on to the clergy. Well, that's what the scribes were to mm. the Pharisees, okay? Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that all scholars today are like the scribes in terms of their nature <laughs> and how they operated. And I'm not saying that clergymen are like Pharisees. I'm saying a certain kind, just to kind of make it more contemporary. And we have to ask the question, what kind of righteousness differs from the righteousness of the scribe and the Pharisee? Question. Because that's really the ball game. He says, "Except your righteousness, exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. You will not enter. You can't even get Mm. in, Mm. let alone being called least. That is a legitimate question. You nailed it, Denzel, when you said the righteousness of the Pharisees was external. It was an outward righteousness. It was also legalistic Mm. and so what the scribes did is they created a Mishnah of rules based on the law that were ultra specific it allowed for no leading of the Spirit there was no gray it was all black and white and it went far beyond the law for example the law says keep the Sabbath Well, they added all sorts of rules (laughs) and regulations to that law that were all man-made. And then they judged, looking down their noses, at anyone who did not follow their particular add-ons, their tack-ons. Another example was not eating with unwashed hands. All right. That was a man-made law. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Jesus had no problem disregarding that one, (laughs) which, of course, got him in hot water. But they had this dead orthodoxy of rules and regulations, oral tradition, oral interpretation that they enshrined and they put on a level that was equal to that of God's own law. Mm. And Jesus just disregarded it, their interpretations and their traditions. And as you said, regarding the law, the law of God, Jesus went straight to the heart. he went to the spirit behind the law Mm. and as you read past verse 20 he gives examples murder Murder. the one you mentioned adultery anger he gives examples of what the righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the pharisees Mm. looks like okay anger is the equivalent of murder Mm. according to jesus Lust is the equivalent of adultery, according to Jesus. I'll give you an example. Many years ago, I had some interaction with a person who made all of his work about Christian pacifism. He had a website, he had a newsletter, and this is a guy that excoriated war. He condemned owning guns. He denounced the military. And what ended up happening was, he took offense at a friend of mine Not over anything related to pacifism or war (laughs) or guns or military, but it had to do with a name. And I won't get into the details, but it was one of these things where he had a certain name for his blog, which no longer exists, by the way. And my friend was using the same name. And this person, Denzel... Mm -hmm. Although he was a pacifist, his teaching, Mm -hmm. verbally excoriated and slaughtered my friend online. All right? In other words, while externally he was a pacifist, Mm -hmm. internally he was full of war and
2: violence. Wow.
1: And that came out. Yeah. And this, in effect, is what Jesus is doing when you read past verse 21, when he talks about what is murder in the law, right? Yes, Yes. What is lust in the law? What is anger in the law? Mm. And so God's righteousness gets down to the heart and it transcends, as you said, human ability. He must provide what he demands. Amen. The person that grits their teeth and clenches their fists and tries to fulfill what Jesus said, in Matthew 5 is going to fail and fail hard. And oftentimes that's necessary to move from Romans 7 to Romans 8 in experience. To Amen. realize it's not I it's Christ. I cannot do this. It's impossible. Amen. Only he can fulfill it and it's to be fulfilled by corporate body of believers, not as an individual. Amen. Trying to paddle their canoe by themselves, but that's another conversation. It reminds me of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians that the letter kills, mm-hmm. but the spirit gives life. Spirit. And that is a parallel passage to
2: what we're looking at here in Matthew chapter 5. What say you? I'm going to put this out here. We, we're sitting here chopping it up. And um, when you say how they added things to the law and they mm-hmm. start more human energy. To do those things, and earlier podcasts, we brought out the uh, concept of you know the Great Commission, mm-hmm. and you said how instead of go, therefore it's as you're going. Mm-hmm. I asked this once at our fellowship because our local fellowship that I'm a part of is uh, very big on missions. Mm-hmm. It's it takes me back to if we put anything, even service for Christ. We can sometimes make that the center and not even Christ, and push him to the margin. Mm. So I just asked, as I might do now and then in my Colombo kind of persona. <laughs> just if one you more will. thing, yeah, just one more thing. Can you show me where Jesus called that the Great Commission? I do where he saw it said the Great Commandment, because he was asked, "What is the greatest mm-hmm. commandment?" You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. But I didn't hear him kind of say that was like the Great Commission. And I got looks like I was an alien coming off of a spaceship to even ask that question. Mm. And the reason I asked that question is because what we were sharing, we've shared in previous podcasts and what's in the book about proclaiming the kingdom of God and not... The gospel of just salvation, and as a person who speaks before God's people every week and hearing messages, you know, preached too, I do hear a lot of guilt and performance. Yeah, you're not doing enough mm-hmm. for the Great Commission. You've got to try harder. You got to white knuckle it. And I remember a couple of months ago, we uh, spent the whole day in two different churches and three different sermons and we were in church from morning till the evening and as we were riding home listening to some gospel music it occurred to me that in the song that was telling me that God loved me that I had spent morning, afternoon and early evening in church and had just heard that God loved me. All I heard was I'm not doing enough Mm -hmm. to please Him, to fulfill God that you know in the city of philadelphia where i'm at there it's a uh, the murder rate is so high because you're not witnessing and getting enough people right, saved yes people are not getting getting jobs and committing crimes because you're not going out there and making them christians and i thought to myself if i heard this every week i would either give up or just have to fake like i was and that gets back to that internal god consciousness and the spirit of christ living in us and as you were, you know, sharing like Romans seven into eight, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. You know, following, being led by the unction of the Spirit and our spiritual instincts. And and again, it's a brother Frankie V has a great course called uh, "Living by the Indwelling Life of Christ," and it's his life through us, as you said, that meets the demand of the law. And he will, Holy Spirit, will have us all on our journey on our walk as he points to what he whatever peel the onion it is that that he wants to single out at that point and then he'll give us the grace to die mm. in that area to that point. And whatever point that he is pointing out to Denzel, Denzel can't get in the pulpit and tell everybody else that's their point too, that they have to deal with because Denzel has to deal with it. You might be telling me to do that, and I can share it generally, and it, whoever it falls to. So I really believe that this is very significant, very relevant. You know, As we were saying, whoever teaches this and practices this will be great, and whoever doesn't teach this and doesn't practice will be the least. And I love why you referenced to first Corinthians three, because I'm going to live in a global Eden, and my cologne doesn't smell like smoke. <laughs> you know i i, I, I want to have that white Rancho. garment on uh his garment of righteousness and putting on christ i don't have any righteousness in myself but wow thank you lord for uh living your life through us well you mentioned
1: romans 8 and i think it would be fitting if we ended this episode by reading a few passages
2: romans eight fourteen is the one that you quoted okay For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So the NIV says this
1: in Romans 8 verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful Mm -hmm. flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order, verse four, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And then verse 14,
2: for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. In verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Mm -hmm. So Christ fulfills it. Yes. And then he comes to dwell in us and it gets fulfilled in us. Right. Because he lives through us.
1: In Galatians 2.20, it is not I, but Christ who lives in me. And that's why I have often said, After I came to this conclusion many years ago that the secret to the Christian life, if you want to put it that way, the critical ingredient to all of it is learning how to live by the indwelling life of Christ or the indwelling spirit. Amen. Different ways to say the same thing. And we live that way. We were designed to live that way in a certain habitat as part of a new creation part of a new species if you will and every species has its own habitat and if you take a particular species out of its native habitat it's not going to do very well it's either going to die or it's not going to function properly and so this gets into the community right the body of christ even starting with something as small as a kingdom cell which i talk about in the book by the way you mentioned the gospel of salvation i just want new listeners who have not read the book yet insurgents reclaiming the gospel of the kingdom to understand that the gospel of salvation is the same as the gospel of the kingdom but the gospel of salvation in the new testament is not say a prayer and ask jesus to come into your heart and you're going to go to heaven that's not the gospel message is there eternal life yes Is eternal life, life after death, part of salvation? Yes, it's part of it, but it is not the whole thing. And that's what Insurgents, the book, explains, and that's what we've been expanding. And that idea we've been expanding in this podcast as long as we've been doing it. Well, I think we'll end on that note because we've said a lot about this passage (laughs) and we can say a lot more. And I I think that goes for every single text we have looked at. Mm. We could probably spend eight hours or more on every text to squeeze out all the juice that's contained in these living inspired words of the living God through the words of Jesus himself. But we would have few listeners so we're gonna end here and we will see you in the next episode god bless bless y'all
0: we appreciate you listening if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the insurgents podcast and give it a five-star review on itunes this will help others find it also you can join frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.